Good morning, church. Whether you are here or in the fellowship hall or at Fairfax, by the way, congratulations on the move next week, Fairfax, or whether you are watching online, uh, we are privileged to be together, gathered together uh, under God's word this morning. And we turn once again to 1 Peter, that passage that was just read for us, 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, as we've been saying the last couple weeks, uh, every week we're going to pose a question of the text that's in front of us, the same question. Uh, what does this letter tell us about what it means for disciples of Jesus to make a difference in the world. That's what we're about as a church, and what does this letter have to teach us about that? We've said, well, uh, part of what that means is that as followers of Jesus, we ought to embody hope as we move into the world this week. Uh, Last week, we talked about the importance of living a holy life and all that that entails. Uh, And again, this week, as we ask that question, we notice, you may have noticed as you looked at this passage, there are no shortage of answers to that question in this passage. And they all come, most of them anyway, in the form of a metaphor. It's like Peter couldn't just decide on one, so he gave us like a dozen metaphors in a very short amount of time. He says, Christian, you are a newborn babe. Uh, You are a living stone. You are a chosen race. You are a holy nation. And we could talk about each and every one of those for a very long time, but we're going to focus on one. The one he mentions twice, once in verse 5 and once in verse 9, that as a church, we are priests. I don't know what you think of when you think of a priest, but you probably don't think of yourself. And yet this morning, Peter says, we ought to. Let's pray as we open God's word together. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Open our hearts, Lord, to your word, that our lives uh, might be at your service, that we might live as your royal priesthood in the watching world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. About 50 years ago, in January of 1970, Simon and Garfunkel released one of their most famous songs, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Instant hit, still a classic. You may be singing it for the next 20 minutes or so. I apologize for that. (laughs) A year later, after they released it, Aretha Franklin released her own version. That may be the version you know. And according to many people who are in the know and know gospel music, the way that they would put it is Aretha Franklin took Simon and Garfunkel to church. Aretha Franklin was raised in the church, singing in church, steeped in gospel music. In fact, Simon would say that Bridge Over Troubled Waters was really influenced by gospel music. But then Aretha Franklin got hold of it and added some gospel chord progressions and some phraseology and some backup singers. And it became a whole new song in her hands. Now, both Simon and Franklin are writing and re-releasing these songs at a time in which our country really was full of troubled waters. This was 1970. This was just a few years after Martin Luther King had been assassinated. There was still very much uh, racial tension within our country. Uh, There was still violence in our country. The country was still divided very much over the Vietnam War. Some of you were there, maybe even in this city at that At that time, you remember what this country was like then, how much change was going on, how overwhelming that was, how uncertain that was. 
As one person has put it, uh, Simon and Franklin, as young people at the time, could have looked at all of that troubled waters. They could have shrugged their shoulders, thrown up their hands, and walked away. But instead, they decided to give the world a bridge. We still have plenty of troubled waters in our own time. Some of the same troubled waters. All these years later, questions about race, questions about justice, deeply divided, change is happening, lots of uncertainty. There is no shortage of troubled waters in our own time, as we know. But I think it's also safe to say there is a critical shortage of bridges. And it's also possible you're here today, and you know all of, the, all of that, and yet you also have questions about what God is doing about it. It's very, very easy to, to, to assume that, that, that God has seen all of this pain and violence and division and thrown up his hands and shrugged his shoulders and walked away. But the truth is, God has actually given us a bridge. And believe it or not, church, that bridge is you. That's what Peter says in this passage, that you are priests. And what does a priest do? A priest bridges the space between God and people. Or maybe another way to think about it, a priest represents people to God. Or maybe another way to think about it is a priest represents God to people. And as hard as it might be to get our heads around, this is what Peter says about you. That God has given you to the world to be a bridge. In fact, the Latin word, one of the Latin words for priest, pontifex, actually means literally to make a bridge. Because this has been God's plan all along. It has always been from the very beginning to give his people as a bridge to the world that they might see the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. But what does that look like? What does it look like for for those of us who um, don't feel like much of a bridge? Maybe we feel like we're trodden upon. Okay, bridge in that sense, but that's not the vision we have for our lives. How does this metaphor of priesthood help us reimagine what your life and my life and our lives together as a church family are all about? Well, let's think about it in two different ways. This metaphor of bridge or of priest tells us something about our connection and something profound about our calling. First of all, it tells us something amazing about our connection, both to God and to each other. So you have to understand, in the Old Testament, and Peter is very much, if you didn't notice, very much steeped in Old Testament language here, a priest in the Old Testament was seen to have a special connection to God. So the priests were the ones who served in God's temple, God's house. They were the ones who spoke to God for the people through prayer. They were the ones who offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. They were the ones who taught the people the word of God, the Torah. And so it was assumed that they had this special connection to God that other people didn't have. And yet here, Peter is applying that special connection not just to the professional priests, but to all of God's people. He says, you are a royal priesthood. You have a special connection. Well, so something happened. 
Some radical shift has happened such that Peter can say of us, we have this close, intimate connection with God. Well, what is it? Peter tells us in verse 4, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, he's building us together and making us a holy priesthood. In other words, um, Jesus is the one who gives us access to God. He is the one who who, uh, brings us into relationship with God by virtue of what he has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection He brings us into special relationship with God. It's sort of like uh, on my first couple days here uh, at McLean, as I was being onboarded, one of the things I was handed was a fob. So I went from going from no access to full access. (laughs) And I got the key to all the offices. I've only been in one, but I guess these open up other offices as well. I went from having no access to having full access. Listen to what Peter says at the very end of this passage. This is what he's talking about. Jesus brings us to himself, and when he does that, he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. No access, full access. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. No access, full access. Once you had not received mercy, now you receive mercy. No access, full access. You get the idea? And so what Peter is telling us at the very beginning here is that you have been given full access to the Father through the finished work of Jesus. This is, in fact, one of the key insights of the Protestant Reformation because the church at the time had a very hierarchy view of the church. So certain people, like the Pope, had full access and everyone else had eh, kind of access. And Martin Luther and that gang came along and said, no, there is this idea of the priesthood of all believers. We all have access because all of us have access for one reason, because we've been united to Jesus, the great high priest, by faith. This actually came up in a conversation one time. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who was um, uh, a neighbor, kind of an acquaintance, lived near the church. We'd got to know each other. And um, he came to me one day in my office, and he said, "Uh, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I said, sure, what can I pray for? He says, well, I was just diagnosed with cancer, and I'd love for you to pray for me. I said, I'd be privileged to pray for you. And then he went on to say this. He goes, and the reason, he didn't need to say this, but he, he kept talking. And he said, the reason I want you to pray for me is because as a pastor, you know, I said, I don't know. He said, you know, you've got like, you mean like the bat phone? I've got the bat phone. I've got direct access. He said, yeah, you have a, you have a special relationship with God because you're a pastor. I said, oh, you're right. I do have a special relationship with God. But it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. It's because Jesus, by his grace, has drawn me close to him, and by doing so, he has brought me into the presence of the Father. He's forgiven my sins. He's given me his righteousness so that now I stand complete before the Father. Bold I approach the heavenly throne, dressed in Christ's righteousness alone. So my friend, you can have that special connection to you. See, he didn't know he was teeing me up for the gospel, but he absolutely was. 
And the question God wants to ask us is, how are we stewarding our connection with God? It's a privilege. How are we stewarding it, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others? We'll get to that in just a second. But understand, first of all, when he says priest, we should think, wow, that says something profound about our connection to God through Jesus. But it also says something profound about our connection to one another. Because notice, as Peter is mixing metaphors, I'll join right in and mix metaphors with him. Verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, he's talking about Jesus. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Notice the verb is, um, uh, is in the passive voice, so we have to figure out who the builder is. The implied builder and architect is God himself. And what is he doing? He is selecting stones. He is shaping them into the shape that he wants them to be, knocking off the rough edges. That's not the fun part, but the necessary part. And then he fits us together into a spiritual house. That is to say, church, this is not a field of boulders. And this is the way many of us think about church, unfortunately. Like we roll in on Sunday and we roll back out. And we roll in and we hear what we want to hear and we sing the songs that we like and all our preferences are met and we're happy and we roll out. Or we roll in and our preferences aren't met and we roll back out and we're not happy. That's not the image of the church that's given to us here. The image is a spiritual house that God is building together very intentionally, carefully, according to his sovereign wisdom. And it it would be even more accurate to say, this is just a really small part of the spiritual house that God is building. Really small. Really small. There is a worldwide, multi-ethnic, multi-lingual church that he's building right now. And you get to be part of that. So what does this have to do with being a priest? Well, this solves something of a mystery for me as to why Peter begins the way he begins in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You see, what Peter is saying is, if you think you're going to be a priest out there, you start by being a priest in here. You can't be one without the other. And you're saying, well, Ryan, come on. I mean, there's no malice in the church. No one deceives anybody in the church. There's no hypocrisy in the church. There's no slander in the church. I mean, haven't you been on social media and listened to the way that Christians talk to each other? It's full of love and grace and charity all the time. (laughs) You know, Peter heard this one time for Jesus. Jesus one time said this, um, and I'm paraphrasing a bit. I'm taking some liberty, but basically what he said was this. Um, The way that the world is going to know that you belong to me is by looking and seeing what? How you love each other. Mm. So maybe if the world looks inside the church and he sees Christians burning bridges with each other rather than building bridges, they might come to certain conclusions about whether or not we're serious about really following Jesus or whether or not he's real. You see, being a priest is not just about our connection with God. It's about 
our connection with one another. And this leads to the second point, that it has everything to do with our calling. Most of us are not professional clergy, I don't think. The other thing I got the other day, actually, I got my fob first, and then I got a business card. And on my business card, it says, the Reverend Ryan Laughlin. Don't you forget it. Senior pastor, right there on my business card. Most of you, if you pulled out your business card, it would not say pastor or priest or clergy. And that's a good thing. We got plenty of us here. We need more of you out there. And yet what Peter is saying about whatever is on your business card is that what we should be thinking, the framework should be priest. I mean, he's enthusiastic about this. Verse nine, but you, you, he's giving us an identity statement. You are among other things, a royal priesthood. So what does that mean? How do, you, how do we actually do that when we're not doing that, when we're not doing the kinds of things that we think a pastor or a preach, preacher or clergy person does? Not that you guys really know what we do most of the time anyway. You know, we work one day a week. It's great. Um, <laughs> Peter actually gives us some categories here that are helpful for you, that are going to be helpful for you to think through this. He says in verse 5, uh, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. This makes sense. If you know anything about priests, or even if you just want to imagine what a priest might do, this is one thing in the Old Testament we find the priests doing. They take the offerings of the people and they offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. They represent the people's needs before God. Yes, let's be clear about this. There is one mediator the Lord Jesus Christ, between God and man. He has made one sacrifice for sins once and for all for God's people. Let's be very clear about that. I'm not talking about being the mediator. I'm talking about being the sub-mediators. I'm not talking about the final and one sacrifice. I'm talking about the spiritual sacrifices that are being described here. These are ways in which we as God's people present one another's needs before the Lord. One way we can do that And one way that the Bible talks about doing this is through financial giving. Uh, Gifts, financial gifts, uh, practical gifts are often described as sacrificial gifts in the sense of a spiritual sacrifice. So downstairs, we have a wonderful pile of car seats and pack and plays piling up for, uh, for various pregnancy resource centers. That's a way in which we're representing the needs of people and dedicating them before the Lord so that they might be cared for. Another way that we offer sacrifices, and maybe the way that you thought immediately about it, was by praying for each other. There's a sense in which when we pray for each other, we are building a bridge between someone else's needs and God. We are standing in the gap, as it were. Uh, The writer uh, Phil Yancey has a story about uh, one time he was speaking at a conference on grace, and he asked the, the, the audience if they would share some stories about how they have conveyed grace to other people. And so various people were sharing stories of ways they had done that. And one woman stood up and she said, "Um, at at some point in my life, I just really felt burdened to convey grace to telemarketers. Now, this is probably before robocallers and then before our phones began to tell us that spam was coming in. And so we screen a lot of those out on the front end. But, um, but still, every once in a while, those phone calls get through, you know, and they still come through at the most inconvenient time. And they still come through in a way where it's just really, really hard to get the person off the phone. 
Uh, and so, you know, everybody in the group just kind of groaned when she said that because it's a frustrating experience for many people. She goes, I know it's frustrating. I know it, it, it may be inconvenient, but I just really felt like it was important for me to treat these people as human beings. Because think about it. Some of these people um, are, are hardworking people. Maybe some of them are scammers, but a lot of them are hardworking people. They may not be making a lot of money. And think about what their day is like. I mean, how many yeses are they getting for every no? And how emphatic are those no's? Like, these are people who just get cussed out all day and hung up on all day. So I just said, the way I'm going to bring light to my little dark corner of the world is I'm just going to be nice to these people. I'm not going to buy anything, but I'm going to be nice to these people and I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to respond kindly. And then after they, they, they get done doing their spiel and they know I'm not going to buy anything from them, if they stay on the line, I'm going to say, is there something I can pray for for you? And the whole place, of course, was convicted, as we are, because we know how we deal with telemarketers. What was she doing? She's, she's acting like a priest. She sees a need, and she's bringing it before the Lord. Not all of us are called, by the way, to do ministry to telemarketers. That's not what I'm saying. But all of us are called to carefully and creatively stored the position we have with the Heavenly Father to bring needs of people, sometimes complete strangers, before the Lord. It's priestly ministry. And the question we need to be asking is, what would that look like for us this week to act like that? What, what person at our school needs us, when appropriate, to pull them aside and say, how can I pray for you? What person in our neighborhood needs to just be listened to long enough that we know what their needs are. And even if we don't do it on the spot, we say, I'm going to pray for you if that's all right. What would it look like for us to offer sacrifices in the way that Peter is talking about here? Not only do, though do we offer sacrifices, Peter also says we offer praise. We could have spent our entire time together in verse 9. Such a wonderful, rich passage. But I just want to highlight this language he uses here, that at the heart of the calling of a priesthood is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous and wonderful light. If offering sacrifices like prayer is really representing people to God, Offering praise represents God to people. It's, it's saying to the world and showing the world what we believe has ultimate value and worth. That God is worthy of our praise. And, and not just today. I mean, one of the ways we live this out is by gathering together for worship and actually proclaiming praise together. Giving praise to God together as God's people. Uh, and Peter is certainly concerned that we make this a part of our life and a part of our week? Yes, absolutely. But he's not just concerned about the gathered worship of God's people. He is burdened for the scattered worship of God's people. And when you think about, I don't know what you think about when I, when you think about that, actually the first thing that came to mind was somehow trying to, um, to send a formal worship service with you every single day, and honestly, the first thing that came to mind was that you walk out the door on your way to work, and Jeff's there playing the piano. 
you know, and the choir's on the lawn, they're singing you, you know, singing you on your way to church or singing you on your way to work. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the view of life that all of life lived before the Lord is worship. It is worship. Because at every point, every moment, we are making decisions as to what is worth our sacrifice, our time, our money, our attention. And Peter even puts it in the language of our conduct. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, people who think Christians are crazy. Maybe you're here today and you think, Christians are crazy. I don't know why I'm here. But when I see what they do, I, I, I just, I have to pay attention. You, you know, you, you listen to the work of, of Project Belong. I mean, what would it mean for the world to see the church say, we're taking that problem on. We're caring for children who need families. Let your conduct be such, be so honorable that it in and of itself is an act of worship. Uh, there's a picture of this that, that is right here in our own city. And maybe when you were driving to work, back when people did that, um, you actually drove across it, the Arlington Memorial Bridge. You know, the Arlington Memorial Bridge is more than a bridge that gets you from Virginia to DC and DC to Virginia. That word memorial there is there for a reason. And the reason is it symbolizes something. It, um, it's a picture of reconciliation. And you probably already know this, but uh, it connects the Lincoln Memorial to Arlington National Cemetery, and in Nash, on the on the same grounds of the cemetery is is the Lee House, and so it's it symbolizes for our country and for our nation the healing of a wound, the wound of the Civil War, the the bringing together of the North and the South, the 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 reconciliation, and actually the connection to the cemetery cemetery, the great cost that that reconciliation brought about. But you knew all that. That really is a picture of what it means for your life to be a bridge. That you too, your life, both in what you say and what you do, in the way you love people, in the way you do your work, all of that points to a greater reality. The greater reality is that God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And when they see you sacrificing your life for the work of love, it, it, it gives the world a reflection of God's love for us in Christ. Here's something you may not know about the Arlington Memorial Bridge. It was built as a drawbridge. Did you know that? So if you look at old pictures of the bridge from like the 1930s or 40s, it's actually up in the air. And if you maybe you grew up in a town with a drawbridge and you know that sometimes that's a long wait when the drawbridge is up, you gotta wait. Because that bridge is more like two walls than a bridge. And I only mention that because for many of us, this is the kind of bridge we would prefer to be. You know, when people love us, when people are nice to us, respectful to us, we'll be a bridge. But when they rub us the wrong way or when they disagree with us, or when they're rude or hostile, up goes the bridge. Do you know that that's not the kind of bridge Jesus is. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were still enemies, Jesus died for us. And this is the privilege of priesthood. We get to show the world 
that sort of love, that sort of heart of mercy. And we get to bring the broken heart of the world to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray and ask the Lord to do that for us. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have a picture of the bridge we long and are called to be. Help us, Lord, in our weakness to be strong. Help us in our pride to be humble. Help us in our resistance to be open. Help us, Lord, in our busyness to have eyes to see. And most of all, Lord, help us in our own insecurity to be so filled with the love of Christ that we would be assured and reassured and bold in our approach to you. We ask all these things in the strong name of Christ and the church set together. Amen.